You're listening to The Recovered Life Show, the show that helps people in recovery live their best recovered lives. And here is your host, Damon Frank. And welcome back to The Recovered Life Show. I am pleased to be joined by my co-pilot, Christina Dennis. How are you doing, Hi there. Christina? I'm good. I'm trying not to blow away. In Southern California, it's been windy. Absolutely crazy today. Welcome, guys. We are on episode 77, February 23rd, 2022, live with everybody here. And Christina Dennis, Damon Frank, coming at you with an exciting episode today of the Recovered Life Show. We were off on Monday celebrating mm-hmm. the holiday. Actually relaxing a little bit. It was nice. Yes, yes. Totally. How was your Monday off? Was your Monday good? Um, well, I worked for a, a lot of it, but it was beautiful. It's always just such a nice feeling. You know, my son is more relaxed because he's not going back to school. And it's just kind of like a nice breather. But uh, yeah, I'm happy to be here. Yeah, really great to be with all of you guys on the Recovered Life thing. I'd like to thank everybody for joining us today. And I just want to let everybody know that the show is brought to you today by Recovered Life contributors and listeners like you. So thank you so much, everybody who's tuning in on all the different channels and supporting the show. We've got a great show for you lined up today. Christina and I are talking about some hot topics. Yep. Uh, We've got two segments that are great. The first segment we're going to talk about is all about sober relationships. Right. Because on Clubhouse, this has been blowing up. People have asked a lot of questions, Christina, about is does being sober mean you can't date a drinker so true so true it's right really, yeah i i get this question all the time too in dealing with clients uh, who are just starting out both in recovery from alcohol substance abuse or codependency it's like what do i do what do i mark on that dating profile is it okay for me to date you know is it all right for me to date uh a drinker what does that look like so i think this is really cool cool topic it's hard yeah we're gonna we're gonna dive into that we're gonna dive into our experiences and what we've heard from you know christina is going to talk about mm-hmm. her you know her past clients and experiences yes. that they've had we're going to talk about our personal relationships and then after the break we're going to come back and we're going to talk about a really interesting article mm-hmm. that we saw about uh what was from the massachusetts Hospital Research Institute yes. about binge drinking during COVID, which was kind of shocking, actually, the numbers. Yes, they were, they're frightening. And I think that's really good that we're going to dive into that research paper because it is so interesting and it makes sense. But, you know, we're here kind of walking up to maybe, you know, a third year of being yeah. on this. And some of the numbers that they're projecting are just after one year of increased drinking, what it will do to your health. So, you know, we've done a lot of COVID stuff, and mm-hmm. I think some of the questions were, hey, how come you're still talking about COVID? I think it's primarily because of the impact it's had on the on recovery. I mean, so it good. is, I think it's probably one of the biggest things that's happened in recovery, just shifting the dynamics, right? For COVID, sure. I mean, it really has. For sure. We talked about it last um, last week on the show about how it changed, how we do recovery. You know, many of us are still online because that's how we feel safe. But I also saw this, and I know you experienced this too, where we have people who've come in through Clubhouse and actually gotten sober. And so that's really, really cool to see. So there we are- We see them every day. We I see know. them every day in our Clubhouse rooms. 
so good to find out. It, I, it's it, it's it had a huge great. impact. And there's no way it couldn't because it's brand new to everyone, right? So there's just no way that it couldn't exactly. have had an impact. Exactly. You know, one of the things that we've been talking on, on Clubhouse about, let's just dive into this, okay. this first segment here, Christina, because this is a hot topic. I mean, I've been sober for a little while. You've been sober for a long time. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, this is something that everybody deals with in recovery, even if they're in a relationship. True. When they get into recovery and the whole idea of does being sober mean you can't date a drinker? Right. Like, what's the line, right? Like, everybody wants to know the line. And, you know, it's not really talked about. It's talked about a little bit in 12-step groups. Never really, I don't think, in the meetings themselves. No, no. And, it's always and kind of that fellowship kind of discussion. Absolutely. Well, you know, we use the word normie. You know, they're a normie, yeah. so they wouldn't understand or something like that. I think that it's a big question for everybody. If you get, uh, you, you're in recovery and maybe you've made it to your year <laughs> of not dating with somebody, what do you mm -hmm. actually, which box do you check? Um, I have somebody I'm working with right now that has said that the minute she said she only wanted to date non-drinkers, the number of people went down quite significantly. And so we've yeah. had a lot of conversations about why, why is that one of your premises? I've also worked with people that say, you know, I only want to, I only want to date somebody who's in the program. There's just no way I could date somebody who doesn't have an idea of what it is. And yes. I mean, I have, uh, my son's father is sober and I met him actually at an AA meeting and my husband is sober. So when they're asking me these questions, it really made me start thinking about, well, what is the right? thing. And I believe it. you have to decide for yourself. Um, well, yeah, let's talk about the pros and cons of this because there are pros and cons. There mm -hmm. are pros and cons. And I think it depends how old you are, how long you've been sober. Right. I think, I, I think there's a lot of different elements that go along with picking correctly with this. Absolutely. I don't think there's one, you know, I'm going to go up front and don't think that there is one formula. Mm -hmm. You know, I think, you know, let's start with some of the pros. Real quick. Yes. What are some of the pros of dating somebody who is sober? A norm, uh, say, sober. Right? Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, and the I, word normie, by the way, let's let's talk about that real quick because like I know it's I triggering some it. people. We've got some millennials here that are going, normie. What the hell? What the yeah. Heck? Like, I don't want to talk about a normie. What's a normie? I know. Normies are considered not drinkers or people that don't have addiction problems, right? Right, right. Just, just to be clear. Non -drinkers, so people are listening that don't non drinkers. Non alcoholic yeah. drinkers. So um, I think so for me, it's been really, really helpful to be in a serious relationship with somebody who understands that my life is not centered around alcohol. And even more, yeah. more, much more deeper is the actual belief that we are working on bettering ourselves side by side. And so yes. it's been really, really great. Now, I will caution people that if you date somebody, you meet them in a group, you know, let's say you meet them if you're attending 12-step group or any kind of support group, that you don't overlap your programs, that you each have individual programs because, uh, although Saturday night might be a fun date night, you know, I know there was a huge 12 step meeting down here in Newport beach for years and mm. years. And it was, uh, it was definitely a place where people went to meet people where a romance was in the air. And if that's the only thing that you have in your program, then you you're putting yourself in painting yourself into a corner. I think that. Oh, but, but let's stop real quick, Christina, because okay. we did this, we did an episode on the early dating 
yes. in recovery and dating people, how dating in rehabs and programs <laughs> is probably just like a huge no, no, right? You want to be. Yes. But like, but let's talk about, let's talk about this because I know your, your husband, mm-hmm. uh, really well, who's a, a, a amazing guy. Thank you. Okay. And, and he, he is very much in, yes, you know, in, in recovery and has great recovery. Mm-hmm. And what, what are the pros? What are the pros with that? Because like, you guys have long-term recovery. That's a little bit different, right? Yes. Short-term recovery, somebody being in, I actually think it's actually a detriment. I do I too. think you're much better off focusing going on with yourself. a non-drinker, focusing yeah. oh, on yourself first. Yes. And then maybe going to somebody who is a non-drinker. Absolutely. Uh, as well as maybe dating. I don't know. I don't know. It's, know, but... it's very interesting. The pros of my husband, Kelly, and I is that we both have the same principles in which we you know, guide our lives with. And that comes from the program that we both uh, practice in recovery, 12-step. And so we have an understanding of one, that, what the demands are on how we can each keep ourselves healthy and in the middle of the herd. Mm. Uh, there is a, a lack of judgment. If I need to step away and help a fellow traveler, it's totally understood and it's respected. Plus, I never have to worry about getting a good night kiss with you know a bottle of bourbon. It's always you know not a problem for us. So I think it's a good thing. But I also believe what you're saying about if you're new in recovery or newer, I should say, um, and a person who does not drink alcoholically could be the right person for you. That's why I don't believe that everybody should just cut it off, you know, stay open because people who don't have a problem with substance abuse would never even consider, you know, like, oh, okay, well, yeah, I don't need to drink. They'd have to actually think to drink, right? When they go out, do I really want to have a glass of wine tonight? Or no, I'm driving. I'm not going to do that. And that can be very, very healthy. And you can focus just on your own recovery program. Well, I think because we just came out of Valentine's Day and everybody is talking about, you know, February, everybody talks about dating relationships, having the relationship they want, not having the relationship they want. I think that this is a really big topic specifically because the whole strategy mm-hmm. and application of it. Let, let me, you, you, you picked one. If you're in early recovery or look, I mean, I know guys that are five, 10 years and they'll go on a date and a girl will like a woman will have a glass of wine mm-hmm. and why shouldn't they? They're a nor- like, they're a yes. normie, as you say, mm-hmm. right? Like you can't expect that the world is going to change, right? Like that's no. my whole thing. Like, come on, like not everybody has a problem. There's, there's millions of people that don't have a problem with alcohol at all. Right. They right. Glass, they can take it or leave it. But the whole kissing thing, tasting it, right. Have Ooh. I relapsed? Have I not relapsed? That is a huge, no, I mean, I seriously, I agree. That, you know, Christina, there's people that are listening to this and going, yep, I've been there. I had right. that experience. Right? right. And you're not sure exactly what that that's, that's doing, you know, is that part of it? And, and I think it's really important for you to determine for yourself, you know, whether that's going to be a problem. I, I'll tell you that. Um, for me, I have kissed other people besides my husband prior to getting married. And some of them had been drinking and I didn't mm-hmm. find it to be a super big problem. But I also think that there should be an ease in a conversation where it's like, go brush mm. your teeth, you know, go brush your teeth yeah. or that's yeah. what, you know, I'm not interested in it, but uh, non-drinkers or non-abuse, abuse, 
I can't say it today, non-alcoholics, you know, who can drink normally, it shouldn't be that big of a deal. And so if you are scared to death to date somebody who doesn't have a problem with alcohol and can use it responsibly, Mm -hmm. I want you to know that I know lots of couples where one is a drinker and one isn't, and they do just fine because people who don't have a problem do not like have their lives centered around it. Now, that being said, though, I've worked with some women that were back out dating. You know, we've done some codependency recovery and they have surprised me. And I had to try to figure out how I felt about it, where they didn't want to date somebody who didn't drink. And that really surprised me because we're great people. And I asked questions like, well, wow, I never thought that somebody wouldn't want to date me because I don't drink. And they said, no, I want my lifestyle to be like this. I want to be able to enjoy a cocktail. And, you know, that's up to them. It's really interesting. Well, I, I have I have to tell you that I think there is some pros mm-hmm. about being with somebody who is a drinker. Now, here, here's the thing. Yeah, I want to hear my these. own recovery because mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm married to somebody who is not a, you is not an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. So they don't have addiction problems and they, but they don't have a problem drinking either. Right. Mm-hmm. So, th- so this is the key. I think here's a line for me and here's what I got in early recovery through the dating process, right. Is okay. one is for me, I think you have to draw the line. Is the person a heavy drinker mm-hmm. or is a personal light drinker? Now for me, I think I would have a hard time if I had a relationship with somebody who was a heavy drinker. Agreed. Me personally, not even an alcoholic, just somebody who's a heavy drinker, right? Yes. Somebody that was a daily drinker even. Exactly. I think I would have a I would have a problem with it because the it's the small things, Christina, I think that's that's the problem, right? It's the glass of wine that's left on the table. Right. Like any alcohol, anybody in recovery that's listening to this gets this, right? Yeah. And it's knowing the, it's in the refrigerator. And knowing it's in the refrigerator and all this other kind of stuff. Now, I, I've been open about this. We have alcohol in our house. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's really, it's not excessive. It's also not at a place where I have to look at it all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the other thing too. Because, yes. you know, I want to be in a safe place where I don't feel like I have to, uh, not that this happens a lot for me, but I don't, I don't want to feel like I have to be on guard all the time. Right. 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 It's the same thing with people with mini bar, mini bars in hotels. Like there's yes. a lot of people who have it. Mm-hmm. I know people who are 25 years sober that have it really taken out. Taken out. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And it will affect your nervous system. This is ex- what mm-hmm. you're saying is absolutely true. And I love that you say, you know, it's put away and you don't have to look at it because when you are in that place of where your nervous system is blown, I mean, we, we, we've said it here before and you and I have said it in private, you know, alcoholics drink because they're alcoholic. And so yes. why put something there? I imagine it if you were trying to quit cigarettes, let's say having cigarettes all over the house is probably not very helpful in breaking no. the obsession. So uh, because in this country, uh, we really, really want to hold on to our right to drink. We kind of sometimes think it's a prerequisite, like we have to have it. And what I have learned, and I learned this with my birthday party a couple of years ago, I had a big one and lots of people came over and it never occurred to me to offer alcohol, right? Mm -hmm. And I could tell very easily those that really, really needed it to be part of their evening. And it's no judgment to them, but about halfway through this party, we were having fun, doing karaoke. It was, you know, just wild and, and truly a sober party, but they, I could see that they were like, mm, mm, I may have to dip out of this. 
and that's their relationship with alcohol. But I have chosen not to have it. You know, at my wedding, uh, yeah. we had an open bar outside of the wedding room, outside of the big banquet room. And when wow, we had dinner, okay. you know, when we had dinner, we didn't serve wine, but people were allowed to order their individual cocktails. And we picked up the tab and took care of it because they were our guests. So I really think it's the most important part is having the talk about it. Well, see, I bought, I've bought alcohol for people. I've, mm -hmm. you know, been in, you know, we're going to have different shows about business. We've had clubhouse rooms about business and alcohol and success yes. about the fear of that. Mm -hmm. I've been really open about that early in my recovery, you know, 27, 20 years ago, that was my biggest fear is right. I'd never be able to do anything. You know, I just came back from a, a weekend trip with my daughter and, you know, I was at a place where people were drinking and it was, it was fine with me and people were heavily drinking, yes. but it didn't, it didn't really, it didn't bother me because, you know, I came in prepped and I, you know, I have a good sense of that yes. after years of setting myself up. The thing is though, is I think when you're at home and in an intimate relationships, you're more vulnerable. So the Absolutely. heavy drinking, not verse, you know, now I think the talk, and this is the thing, you know, before I talk about the talk, well, Maybe and I was just thinking this. the talk that you have with a sponsor, not even the talk. The talk. Oh, that I you think have the with talk the with your significant other is I, yes. what I'm talking about. Now, yes. the sponsor, I think, is good if you're in a 12 step program mm -hmm. or you have a therapist or whatever. Or coach, being open yeah. with them about your coach, being open. And I know people do, I'm sure with you, call you, Christina, as a coach yes. and say, look, I'm totally freaked out. I'm going out on this yes. date or. I'm yes. dating this person. I might be in this situation. And I'm of course you want to put your best foot forward when you're dating. You don't want to, you don't want to make it seem like you're um, not all together. Right. And right. I think there's a stigma to alcohol, alcoholism. Yes. Still to some, for some people it's going away, but there's that stigma that freaks people out. Right. right. Like, so you have to pick the right person. So, but here's the thing that's a, the pro thing about dating somebody that's in recovery or being a relationship or married to somebody who's in recovery. Here's one thing that I do see. It's interesting. People that in are in recovery have a dialogue, mm -hmm. a way in which they process things. Yes. They're kind of trained to process things in a certain way. Right. I think that that's an, a great avenue for communication. My first True. sponsor is married to somebody. They're both in long-term sobriety, both over 30 years each. Mm -hmm. They have a great relationship because they're, the whole thing is kind of based on the way they learned in 12 steps and the right. way they learned in therapy to process things. And they have a much more open relationship. Now, the bad part about that is I've also seen people relapse yes. in these and take other people out, right? Yes. Um, but I think this all comes down to the talk that we were that we were talking about <laughs> earlier. People yeah. are going to be, what is the talk? David? I know, even more than the, the dreaded marriage talk, you know, this yeah. one has to be discussed. Well, uh, this is one thing that I think you didn't have to go through in your marriage is that because you see this is what I'm talking about. You already had an understanding. Yes. So your husband knows that you cannot drink socially. Ever. That's right. That's right. But a non-alcoholic doesn't have that. They think, well, at some point, they'll get over this. Right. And they're just going to be, no. and by the way, I, people are listening to this that are out, have long-term are laughing, but they know it's the truth. Yes. And I don't think this, that people are being, I don't think people who are saying that as significant others are trying to be. They're not trying uh, to hurt. No. They're not malicious. But they are. But they are hurting. <laughs> yes. Yes. Because it it's is. that seed of doubt. Well, hey, maybe, you know, it's been, it's been 
three decades. Yeah. What do you mean I have to put the wine away? Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. It, that's why you have to. I mean, that's why having the relationship with yourself and being really concrete in what works for you and being able to communicate it is key. Because a lot of times in codependency, the person doesn't want to ask. You know, yes. the person in recovery is like, well, they should be able to. And ultimately, you always have to check in with your nervous system and see what is working for you. Because one day it may work and then there may be a month where it doesn't really work. Mm -hmm. And having a partner that can ebb and flow with that is essential. Well, I think you have to have the talk. I think it's even beyond that. Okay, we've and made the talk wait. basically. Okay, so <laughs> I think if you if you have a long term relationship or sometimes even a short term, and I remember when I was dating, there were people that said, "No, I'm not into that." Right, like right. because they have a perception about alcoholism uh, in recovery is that something's going that they're just over it, like you've recovered, right? right? Like, right. and we have recovered, but we haven't recovered in a way where we can drink again socially. True, and I think that talk is to be able to say it's like, look. Um, I'm an alcoholic. I'm mm -hmm. always going to be an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. There will never be a time where I will ever be able to sit down and drink socially with you. Right. I will never be able to do that successfully. True. I might fool you mm -hmm. that I could do that, but that is a lie. It will never happen. And if that, if you, and, and here's the other thing, heavy drinking or abusive drinking, or excessive drinking, or maybe even whatever your line is, daily drinking won't ever work for me. Yep, not gonna. Work I can't for be me. around it. Doesn't matter how much I love you. Doesn't matter how right. It's it's just something that I will not be able to operate in. And that that I think you have to have that talk. Well, I I'm gonna blow your mind right now because I did have to have that talk with Kelly because when I met him, he was still uh, negotiating with the idea that he could drink successfully. Mm -hmm. And so there was a time at the beginning where um, he did and it came back uh, to get him uh, like it does with us alcoholics. And I did have to have that talk. Mm -hmm. I did have to say, um, you know, you can live your life the way you want to live your life. But for me, it's abstinence. It's 100 percent abstinence. I wow. will not live with these with this situation. And I was in love with him and did not want to do that. But I knew for my sake, for for his sake, that I couldn't stand by and watch him drink alcoholically. And so he actually has six years of sobriety. So, wow, that's great. Mm -hmm. That is great. See, and I think that this is a really important lesson because if you don't have that talk and they don't know where that boundary is, you're the boundaries girl, Christina. Right. You you are the right? Like that yeah. is your coaching. Yes. You know, a lot of your coaching is the boundaries. If you don't have that discussion, I think you're in trouble personally. Right. Well, and where are you if that's not an, uh, something that's available to you? That's something to look at in the relationship and really see. Because acceptance of the person and where they are is totally true. It's completely true. We do have to accept people where they are, but we don't have to live with them and we don't have to date them and we can love them from afar. So I think it's really, really important for anybody and everybody who's in recovery who is thinking about getting into a romantic relationship or to date to kind of decide your parameters. Wear them like a loose sweater though, because you may find a person and uh, they may check all the boxes and that, but every once in a while they have a glass of wine. And as long as you've had the talk beforehand, you should be able to navigate it pretty smoothly. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I think that, uh, I think having that talk 
And I think, um, you know, being sober does, does mean that you can date a drinker. It does. I think you just have to find out your comfort zone, but I think it's much more of a post two to three year thing in my opinion. Definitely. definitely. I don't think it's the first three years. It might not even be that if you're younger, if you get sober in your twenties, like I did, mm -hmm. I don't, I, I think it maybe is the first, I think really three years, really. Yes. I mean, really that's yes. kind of the, where you really wake up every day feeling, okay, man, I can get through the day right. sober and I don't feel like I'm going to relapse every five minutes. Yes, absolutely. And it's possible to, to be around alcohol, but why put yourself through that? Absolutely. No need. <laughs> so everybody make a choice for themselves, but be really, um, be really wary and pay attention to your nervous system. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, I think this has been a really, really good segment. Yes. And I think it's going to help a lot of people because I got to tell you, if you're listening to this and thank you, by the way, for everybody that's listening Yes. and, please. you know, thank you for everybody who is supporting the show. Um, Christina, if you want to go in and yeah, talk I'll about let everybody how people know. can support that show. Yes. If you are watching this and you enjoy it, please follow, like, and share so that we can grow our community. This is the best thing for Recovered Life. And this is how you support us so that we can continue to bring really good episodes and topics to you. We also are uh, have our own app. So make sure you look at the Recovered Life. Uh, and as well as our clubhouse. If you are not a clubhouse member, you want to see about getting that app downloaded and check us out because we're having wonderful conversations with many people over on that app. Absolutely. And you know, you guys can always go to recoveredlife.us and right there you can join, you know, if you and become part of our community. Yes. We've got so much great stuff going on. And thanks for telling people, Christina, how they can support us because people all the time, they ask in Clubhouse, you know, you just sh shared with something today. Mm -hmm. saying, hey, we'd love you to do this. We'd love you to do this. And yes. Growing. And this is a great thing. You know, we're doing many more episodes and and we're growing. So uh, when we come back, Christina, we are going to talk about binge drinking. Yes. During COVID. It has increased quite a bit. It has. To be quite honest with you, it was a little shocking about the numbers. So when we come back, we're going to talk about binge drinking after this quick break. So hold tight. You're listening to The Recovered Life Show. And welcome back, guys. Uh, segment two here on yep. our live stream today. And if you guys are listening in the podcast, I'd like to thank you so much for everybody who listens on iTunes, uh, Google, a lot of people listen on Google. Thank you. Really? Pixel fans. Yep. That's uh, cool. Spotify. Uh, we're getting new listeners all the time and it's so exciting, Christina, because, um, it's really growing. The whole recovered life community is really growing. Well, and, and for my recovery, it's essential that I be around this community because we do need to ask these questions. Putting down the substance is just the beginning. So I think that it's very exciting what we have going on here. And I know people are joining every day and I would love, would love to have you there. Absolutely, guys. So if you're not a Recovered Life, please join us, recoveredlife.us. And let's dive into it, Christina. I want to talk mm. about 
this really interesting article that you found from the Massachusetts Hospital of Research Institute. It was just in December of 2021. That's right. right? It's actual, actual evidence. It's pretty frightening. I know that at least three people who reached out to me about becoming sober as a direct result of their experience the first year. And what they are showing, not only has alcohol increased by 21% the sales, so has binge mm -hmm. drinking. And what Mass General did was they went in and started researching all these people. And this is across the United States, not just in Boston, to share and see what their potential danger is in regards mm. to binge drinking for just one year. I had one particular friend say, all of a sudden it was okay to drink during the day. And I was on my lawn waving to my neighbors who were also drinking during the day. And she made a decision that she was gonna put it down based on that. So I think for gray area drinkers or people that have always had those natural boundaries of work or driving, they feel like, oh, I don't have it. And we talked about this on Recovered Life about that line that some people can cross. And I think that we're seeing it, they're estimating up to, I think it was 19 to 35% higher death due to drinking. Wow. I know, of the United States. So it's not just amongst us alcoholics. I know people That's relapse, crazy. but I also know people have also gotten sober. So it is something to talk about. Well, I think that the, I think, you know, when I looked at this article and you sent me this article, you said, look, it's increased 21%. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that can't be right. And, and the more I dug into it, that's absolutely right. And it says it's going to cause 100 additional deaths, 2,800 additional cases of liver fair in 2023. Mm -hmm. It's going up. And I do, I think you touched on it, one of the, the main issues for this. And I think it is the boundaries issues. Totally. Uh, where somebody maybe would go to work. Maybe they had a problem with alcohol and they were like, we, we talk about teetering. this a lot. Yeah, they're teetering. Yeah, they're on the line. They haven't really crossed the line yet. Um, and they would wait and maybe they would go home and maybe on a Tuesday or Wednesday, they'd say, Hey, you know what? I think I'm mm -hmm. going to pass on this. And they wouldn't really cross the line, but now being at home all the time and those lines being blurred. Yes. Uh, crazy. And I, well, think, and getting alcohol yeah. delivered to them, right? Yes. There's, there yes. are services everywhere, which wasn't around when you and I first got sober where no. you didn't even have to leave the house to get it brought to you. And I've heard of a lot of people getting, you know, looking at their credit card bill and seeing, oh my gosh, I spent $1,200 this month or $1,300 yeah. this month on booze. And they didn't realize it. That's how insidious alcohol can be. And the thing to remember, as we're saying this, though, to people out there who may be listening, alcohol is still the most dangerous drug to detox of. It is so much more dangerous and powerful than we really realize. So I love that research institutes are talking about it because I think there's this huge push to keep marketing to lifestyle mm -hmm. and not recognizing that alcohol increases, you know, your chance of getting five different cancers by 40%. And I'm not here to demonize alcohol, but it is a very powerful and lethal drug. And people who are at home and no longer have to get up at 6 30 in the morning you know they they're getting up maybe at eight or nine or they don't have to put on pants right to go to work it's very easy to slip into that drinking game yeah i you know what i i, I think that is a huge part of it i think that we blurred the lines between when is work 
when is not work? Why should I do this? Why should I, you know, right. like the whole thing. And I think the only positive thing about this is I don't think people are in the car as much. I don't think that the is or as much. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think that that is that, you know, that, that is one good thing, but the death, it says 19 to 35% additional mortality. Yes. Uh, just through drinking. And I think also not being around people, you know, when you have to be accountable and maybe go in socially and see family right. or friends mm -hmm. or even go to work, right? Yeah. No one's when there you telling to you. To work, no one's yeah. there saying, wow, you look horrible or yeah, maybe need stuff to together. Yeah, exactly. Or maybe it's time for you to get some food. Maybe we need some water. You know, I mean, people were saying that to me all the time and it wouldn't have mattered at that point. You know, I was always yeah. trying to figure out, oh my gosh, how did I get drunk? And, you know, the 18 cocktails was probably a pretty good clue. But those people that maybe never had that problem because they had those parameters. I had problems with boundaries just because now I do so many things online that I wasn't recognizing that I was stretching myself so much because I was fitting calls into those 30 minutes that it might have taken me to drive somewhere. You know, and so opening up a beer, starting something at two o'clock in the afternoon because your appointments are done and you'll get to it tomorrow is a slippery slope for people. And it's obvious because our numbers are going up. And I think it's really important to think about that if you are a loved one or if you are someone that's around drinkers that maybe you've always thought that they were heavy drinkers, but you see that they're, they're losing time right during the day that things aren't adding up, that it's important to remember that. And I think this is the, you know, you talk about gray area. I, I've noticed this um, with older people. Okay. Yes. So I'm talking, uh, uh, and I'm not talking over 50. I'm talking over 65, 70. Yes. I, I would say more 70 ish. It's at 70s and 80s. I've seen a lot of people that I knew, social, mm -hmm. like just family members mm -hmm. and people they feel like, you know, wow, uh, they're friends, mm -hmm. stuff, they're drinking a lot. And it's not only drinking, it's prescription drugs and drinking. Yes. It's, it's depressants. Yes. It's stimulants. It's all different kinds of stuff. And I think what we're also seeing is just the older, the older senior population feeling hopeless. Yeah. Isolated. Really. They're not doing the things that they used to do. Family isn't able to come over. If everybody remembers that first year, we mm -hmm. were all super cautious about being around the elderly and a lot of them very much suffered. And it's interesting that you brought up that population because I've just been scheduled to speak at it because of the increase mm -hmm. drinking that's happening and just telling people, be aware of it. It is so alluring. And we could think something is really benign, but like you said, you take a prescription drug and all of a sudden, when you used to only drink maybe two cocktails, but you have so much more time on your hands and you're drinking six or seven, you could, you know, your pulse rate could stop. You know? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's so easy. You know, we hear about binge drinking a lot and, you mm -hmm. know, we, we're going to definitely do an episode on this. Absolutely. Because I have a guest that I want to bring in that wants to talk about college life, you know, they're in the Greek system, fraternities and sororities. Right. We hear a lot about binge drinking of, of inexperienced drinkers, right? Yes. And they drink too much and they don't realize that they've not only physically drink too much, that now mm -hmm. they're 
you know, like you said, their heart could stop. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they pass out, they throw up, they, they choke to death, right? There's, we hear this a lot, but we don't hear about the people who just do it silently in their home. We do right. it because it's really dramatic. If a, if yes. a teen does it or an yes. early twenties person does it, it seems tragic, but this is happening all the time. Well, and, and another thing to think about is that the way we measure alcohol could be incorrect. You know, it used to be I taught alcohol prevention over serving in the hotel system for many, many mm -hmm. years. And it, we used to think one drink per hour is all because it takes you an hour to get rid of it. Right. It takes you an hour after. So you have one drink and then you would be right at 0.08 or 0.10. Right. But the wine glasses are this big. Your glass at home may not be just that ounce and a half of a cocktail. It may be actually three ounces. So you're really drinking three cocktails instead of one. And it is really dangerous not to have some kind of clarity around it and to really consider, should I be drinking every day? Maybe this isn't the best thing for me. And hopefully we'll start seeing those numbers change. But for everyone or anyone who's watching, who's had uh, like their, their little uh, behaviors have changed enough that they're really concerned, Absolutely. It's the time to start thinking about putting it down and possibly living a more sober life. Because the thing about accidental deaths, it, we always attach them to car rides, but actually 30% of all pedestrian accidents, fatalities have alcohol involved. You can drop and hit your head. It was my father passed away uh, five years ago from this particular scenario where he probably, if he had made it to his bed, would have passed out. My father was a active alcoholic until the day he died. Um, but instead he fell and his had a brain bleed. So yeah, it's that's more just than another just another example. Yeah. More than just driving. Well, here's the other thing too. And I think that people don't understand, you know, being in, you know, having the recovered life show mm -hmm. and being in the recovery community, right. And dealing with people who are newly getting sober yes, and also just having, you know, connections and people that we contributors like yourself that come onto the show and, right. you know, that we've got on Christina, you and I interview so many people yes, and that are, that are in the trenches of this. And, you know, they'll tell us, you know, alcohol is still, the most dangerous it thing is. to detox from. It is. It is. And Absolutely. people don't realize that. You mm -hmm. know, um, I was involved with a big 12-step group in Burbank that I would go to a lot. And, uh, and you know, uh, because of anonymity, I won't name them, but it had been around since the 50s. And wow. they were talking about even back in the day in the, in the, in the early 50s, of literally, you know, pouring caro syrup down people's throat mm -hmm. because they were going through DTs because there were no yes. hospitals to take it's, them because the, the stigma of alcoholism was so big that if somebody had a business or was religious or anything, they, they couldn't go right. because it would be labeled, you know, as, as a drinker, as absolutely as one of those older. Yeah. Yeah. And, you can't you know, your a liquor. lot of people died. A lot of people died from just detox and we've had uh, Ken on on one of the early episodes. I got to think about. I got to mention that in the in the show notes here. But he talked about his experience almost dying. Wow! Uh, just because he was he just didn't understand mm -hmm. uh, what was happening, and it took a friend who a friend of a friend who was sober that checked on him. Uh, to recognize and a it. A friend called uh, somebody who was sober, and they called, and he's like, "What are you going through?" And he's like, "Man, you're." 
you're going through DTs. You're going to die. Like you got to go in. And this guy went from, I'm just going to stop drinking cold Turkey to almost dying. And he wrote a book on it. And it was, it was great. I mean, because he really put the light. So I think this whole idea of understanding that alcohol is super, it is super lethal. dangerous. Yeah. It's lethal. Super lethal. Mm-hmm. People I'm, do not get it. People do not get it. I'm so glad that you're saying that because I want to make sure that in this show that we tell people, if you think that this is a problem, get help first, you know, and we have to take the shame out of it. We have to take the shame out of alcoholism, which is one of the reasons why recovered life exists, because it is not a moral issue. And due to marketing, due to the fight to have our right to drink, you know, not not that I want to quote Beastie Boys, but, you know, due to that, we have to we have to start having these conversations that discuss how dangerous it can be. And with COVID, I know we talk about the pandemic a lot, but it's still going on. With it, we have all new rules. And so these kind of uncomfortable conversations have to be had. And if you were like me, when I got sober, I was one of the first people in our little group that actually decided to quit drinking. And Mm. most of my friends drank alcoholically. Some of them went away and some of them got sober. And so you may be in a position as a recovered person, as somebody who's living in recovery, to have this conversation with your loved one, to have this concern, to voice it. The shame has to be taken out of it. It isn't you are not less than a person. You're you're not a lesser person because you can't drink. I don't feel that way at all and have been lucky enough to believe that for many, many years now. Huge, huge. And I think that the... I think that one of the uh, one of the things about this whole recovering out loud about recovered life in general mm-hmm. is that we are taking it. You know, I've been very open, mm-hmm. and you were too. That we worked in like the corporate America or had our own businesses, yes. and you know, uh, the whole idea of recovering out loud uh, was not something that was appealing to me. Matter of fact, it was something that I was told never to do. Or really, you know, right? I didn't have a choice. I didn't have a choice. I was a food and beverage director. So a food and beverage director that's sitting at a table that the entire day is on wine tasting. And, you know, there are 20 glasses empty in front of you and everybody else has 20 tasting. You know, I had to tell people. So maybe I was lucky. But I, you know, people found out along the way, you know, Mm -hmm. but I think it's, I think it's, although it's different though, if you do a show like Recovered Life or Recose in a show or, you know, you're on TikTok, or you're doing any of this stuff. Like, you know, I, I think that the, I, I think that this new recovering out loud is the shame component, which we're going to have a whole other show on yes. about shame, this whole shame component with addiction, that it's somehow this moral thing. I think that's why you're getting the 21% because yes. I, I, I know for a fact that there are people that, especially with seniors, I'm telling you, because I think, mm-hmm. look, um, teenagers, you know, uh, they don't have this uh, mm-hmm. stigma with that. No, they, they just think, oh, that's great. Like, you know, yeah. you're in recovery. Awesome. They yeah. don't they they totally get it. Right. Like many. And I would say I, I would say the people like we're Gen Xers, I would say. For yes. The most part, right. All, kind of 50 50 with us. You know, some do, some don't. But you go to kind of the boomers. There's still a stigma on it. No, I, 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 I would say there. And I think. When you're when you're looking at that 21% statistic, mm-hmm. I think what you're seeing is a lot of people who are in trouble, who cross the line, that are afraid to reach out 
because they are at home drinking, right? Because Mm -hmm. of COVID. And they're like, you know what? This is some sort of moral dilemma. Yes. And if only I would be more moral or would have more willpower. More willpower, stronger person. You know, I'm a bad person because I'm doing it. I can't, you know, all the euphemisms. He he can't hold his liquor. Yes. And it's, and it's BS too. Mm -hmm. You know, it really, it really is because that is, I think what kills people. It's that inability to really ask for help when they really uh, drastically need it. And they're thinking they're going to figure it out. So if anybody's listening to this podcast or show and they're thinking that way, we will tell you it is super dangerous, right? Uh, Final comments on this article, Christina. I think that the original opening line where you said you were shocked still applies, still applies. And it concerns me. And I hope that we keep having these conversations. You know, mental health needs to be discussed more openly and in this area, you know, it will save lives if we have a safe place for people to discuss these things. Yes, yes, absolutely. I think discussion is what it's all about, guys. And Recovered Life is a great way to do it. We're going to wrap up episode 77 here. It's been so much fun coming it with some people great. three times a week, Christina. Yes, it's this been great. Been fun. I mean, I know we miss Monday, so I apologize to everybody, but we have to have a little life too. That's Christina right. And I have to have a little bit of a life. Well, we do because we're sober. That exactly it. So, <laughs> guys, thank you so much. Episode 77, it is in the can. All we right. hope to see you guys on Recovered Life, and I'm we'll good. see you on Friday. Have a beautiful Bye. Wednesday. Bye. Keep the conversation going. Join Recovered Life, a community of like-minded people who are looking to live their best recovered lives. Membership is free, and you can apply at recoveredlife.us.